Hello, and welcome to episode 192 of Greater Than Code. My name is Jacob Stobel, and I'm here with John Sowers. Thanks, Jacob. And I'm excited to be here for the first time with Jerome Hardaway. Hey, everybody. It's Jay here. Uh, so we're here with our special guest, Siobhan Cronin. Uh, she's an engineering leader with a passion of platform engineering, machine learning, and building strong communities. Uh, she began her career researching how humans learn at the Harvard's Lab of Developmental Studies and now stewards human-computer ecosystem-solving problems that matter, i.e. she's like a billion times smarter than me. Uh, she is currently the engineering manager at Landit. Well, she leads a team of engineers helping support the financial well-being of essential professionals. Wow, that's very important. Siobhan has published research in brain and cognition, neural report, and model view culture, and presented at the conference on complex systems, conference in cognitive uh, neuroscience, UltraConf, PyLadies, Metis, and Temple University. She is the lead developer of SwarmOpt, an open source swarm intelligence algorithm library. I have no idea what that is. You have to see some links. Um, a guest researcher at Slow Research Lab and engineering mentor at Hackbright Academy. I understood that reference. Uh, <laughs> Siobhan enjoys powerful conversations, championing women's, women, NB, change makers, dancing, laughing, enjoying delicious food, reading poetry, supporting friends through life transitions and building strong communities. Here are some things on Siobhan's mind these days, such as like managing change during COVID, which is what's on everybody's mind. Uh, the pros and cons of uh, bringing our full selves to work, like I'm really excited to talk to you about that. Building intentional hiring partnerships and communities we serve. Ooh, like we have, I, I have all the team on that. I'm going to be so excited. Like balancing full stack learning on the team of specialization and sparking the joy of learning after periods of being underwater. This is going to be, this whole podcast is going to be a vibe. I'm going to love it. Uh, so I guess our first question, you know, that I read like your like mini autobiography and like <laughs> blown away is like, what is your superpower that is not posted on here? I love it. Thanks for having me here and reading through that because it's like, oh gosh, I like squeeze all of my my things into one little paragraph. My superpower. So I have a funny story about this. I've often said that my superpower is believing in people. And I like say that I post it places and it feels very true and I can share why. But this last weekend I had a cousin, I said that to him and he said, I'm sure you do more than just believe in people. Like once you believe in them, you probably like advocate and champion them. And I was like, oh, right. It just sounds like the first part of what I really mean to say. And so I stepped back and I thought, well, what I really mean to say as a superpower is that I like to align with people inside their own meaning making systems, inside their passions, their desires, like get to know them really intimately, their own passions. And then really hold them as though they were my own and collaborate with others to like find what the edge of growth would be. The pithy way of saying that is my superpower is catalyzing personal and community change. And that's where I am right now. Wow. That's incredibly powerful. That is, that is, yeah, that's big. It's awesome. So like, all right, so let's start going down this list and let's see, like, let's, you know, do some crazy Let's just tap on some shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, first and foremost, I apologize in advance. I am a combat veteran, U.S. Air Force, so I speak in F-bombs and acronyms. So if you're anti-swearing, I will try to keep it down for the sake of this podcast. But 
Like, you no, know, I'm I'm secretly a sailor, so that's great. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, you just gotta roll, yeah, roll the punches, man. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, let's talk about uh, managing change during COVID. Let's start with that subject because I'm sure we are all going through that on some level. Like, I'm going like. Personally, I'm having this weird uh, uh, lifestyle of like professionally, like I am firing on all cylinders, but you know, outside is closed because of COVID. Like Auntie Rona has outdoor, it's not open to me. And I'm like making like real cool lifestyle, uh, like uh, career decisions. And I'm like, this is the most like popular and, and biggest wave I've rode as uh, I've been on since, you know, starting my nonprofit and being in software engineering. Hmm. But people are dying, so it's weird to be excited, right? I can't be happy with like, oh, like my country is like burning to the ground at the same time. So, like, so what are your feelings on that, <laughs> Jerome? That is so like to me so foundational for why this time is so unique and challenging is that the variance across experiences being so vast, like what you're describing, like some businesses, you know great to be at zoom perhaps like everything everyone's realizing they have to work at home and like big for business and then other companies failing just even in like the tech space and then on the personal it's the same individuals that wow it's like this extended staycation with my family and i'm like cloistered in my beautiful privilege and then others that are completely on the front line dying and so that holding that much community variance to me is one of the biggest challenges like like not even as a worker bee like at you know the company but just being a human right now. And I think maybe extra like bolstered by like we're at home and we're, we're digesting more social media. We're actually more tethered to the the media outlets. So I think there's even more a sense of, wow, there's people really with a, a wide range of experiences right now. And I think for me at the, the core level, just to like, I hear what you're saying too, like how do you even experience maybe joy or like pride in your work right now? If it's going well, like how do you feel that? Like if you're, if, if you're also holding space for grieving in your community. And I think for me, one of the bravest things I can sort of like track in people around me and in myself is the the bravery to feel range of feelings, even in the midst of, of crisis, to feel joy, to feel pride, to feel like excitement, even if that morning something horrible like happened or because what's happened across um, the history of our species is there's always been something quite atrocious happening in the planet to the humans that are on it. And it's been convenient that we've selected to look at that or not look at it, depending on the meaning-making systems we hold. So I think this is like a real chance to explore that for oneself. Like, how do you want to make your day? Yeah, someone at, at work uh, said something I thought was really smart. He's himself an MD because I work for a healthcare company. And he said, if you are in a very privileged position to have the option of basically not having a story during this period, basically, which is like, if you're someone who is relatively healthy, you work at home, you don't stand to be impacted in any major way by this pandemic. If you're in that, pri- that privileged position, you better go get a story, you know? <laughs> and if that story is like, you're going to help your neighbors pick up their groceries or anything, really. You don't want to look back on this and say, nothing happened to me and I didn't do anything of any importance. Like, I'm sort of thinking, like, it's probably good that we're all... What I'm hearing you say is, like, it, it's a good thing to feel affected by this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It shows that you feel <laughs> <laughs> that you have the capacity to have feelings. 
Yeah. The reason I bring this up is that I think this goes back to the topic that you was in your bio. And I think we, this, this is a theme on our show is bringing your whole self to work. And I think that that is a boundary that is being stretched like never before where, you know, like I, I'm working and there's a three-year-old in the background half the time when I'm on meetings, right? Like mm -hmm. that is a completely new thing for most people, certainly for me. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. My dogs, they like to just say, uh, you know what? You've been on the computer too long. It's time to bother you. <laughs> uh, you know, I have dogs varying in height. So my, uh, or, or like even with the kids, like one kid decided that he wanted to, he needed a hug and <laughs> he didn't care. Like, oh my, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm in stand up right now. You're mm -hmm. like, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. I don't care. Like, I'm like, oh, all right. So there are, you know, six living things in my house that do not give a damn about my uh, Zoom meetings and my podcast. They are like, nah, mm -hmm. give me attention now. So mm -hmm. it's a wild ride right now. That makes me excited, though, that there's human care and a hug in your day and a stand up. I think that that definitely boosts stand up in my eyes. There's like more <laughs> hugging involved. But I think it's it's true. It's like that's something that I, I I've always had hope for for more remote working situations and more like interweaving of our our lives. Being able to cook, being able to care for others, being able to lie down that was a big deal when I when I started looking at offices that I could work for, like companies to work for. I was really just looking for where can I be more like a human being? Where can I sit on the floor? Where can I lie down? Where can I like cook food? Like, and if those things were like more and more absent, I was like, so what are you expecting me to do here? Like become this like cyborg that I'm not? Like I actually have material physical reality. <laughs> I typically want a nap after lunch for like 10 minutes. Like I think a lot of people I know once they, once they eat a lot of food, maybe you want to sit down for a second. And like, if there's nowhere in your space, I would like hide in the phone booths and like curl on the floor. And I was like, okay, I made it work. But now I look at like, well, how can we set up more spaces for people to be more in their bodies? I mean, I, I came from this weird background early in my career where I was a contemporary dancer and like worked in like the art world for a long time. And if you hang around with dancers, they're, we're like obsessed with being in our bodies. And like our big contribution to the, the world is to say we forgot that we exist in these embodied forms. And so if you just think you're a floating head, you're wrong. Your ideation, your cognition, your desires, your dreams, they, they actually are networked through this entire body. And so if you're sitting in a crappy chair, you're not thinking the best thoughts. And if you didn't eat something delicious, you're like kind of distracted. So I think there's still part of me that's on that rampage of like, yeah, humane. Like you said that earlier, Jerome, like, like humane, like being more humane here. And that involves like the full human. Like what is the human? Yeah, that's one of those things about working at home. You've you've got that ability to make that space exactly what you need. You can you can accommodate like all the things that you need. That's one of those not really trumpeted benefits of of working from home, but it's I think one of those great especially for people with any kind of disability or any kind of, you know, issue with being out in the world, like you can take care of all that stuff that you need to take care of. You can take into account the fact that you need to have that nap after lunch and not have it, you know, impact anything because it wouldn't, but you've got the space for it. And so that's one of those things that I think a lot of people are realizing once they get that chance to work from home. And Jerome, I was thinking of, um, I hear you because it's like, there's also, like you said, folks with different needs. This is like a funny story just to like throw into the room is like, 
So I'm like a late blooming trans woman. And so it's so funny to be like in this process, like already to be like at work and meeting all these people and investors. And it's like probably times I would have been like, I'd rather like just like go into like a, to the moon and transition and come back when it's all done. Um, but like life doesn't work that way. We have to make money and do things. And um, so then we have, you know, COVID winter. And then like everyone's on this thing called Zoom, literally like zooming into my face all day long for hours and hours and hours and hours. And it's like, wow, this is like a psychological stress I didn't expect. I'm actually a very like resilient um, trans person. I, I feel like I just kind of like roll with the punches. But all of a sudden I was like, wow, like this is actually for a lot of folks like like um, boosting like interpersonal like tensions and anxieties that weren't there before um, that where they could hide in the back of the room during standup or whatever. So I think, I, I, I guess what I hear too, like John is this like, there's a range of experiences. Once again, some folks are really dialing it in right now. And some folks are really feeling further and further left behind. And it's like, that's what's in the room with us. Absolutely. Like you had me at the napping part. I was like, yo, that is like, yo, that is my favorite song. Like being able to like nap after like you do something like I'm one of those, like my energy levels are like super high. If you couldn't tell by like how like I just bring the ruckus and, like halfway through the day, I'm like, all right, it's time for a nap. I'm allowed to go like, like 3 p.m. I need like a 20 minute recharge session so I can do this until 10 p.m. And people mm-hmm. are like, that's abnormal. Like grownups don't nap. I'm like, why? Napping is like amazing. So like mm-hmm. I I'm I'm with you a hundred percent on the whole napping thing. Mm-hmm. The napping revolution. Let's yes, let's start it. But yeah, I think this idea of pros and cons of like full self at work, like maybe just to like get into that a little bit because actually I wanted to talk about like this is something I'd love your thoughts on is that I think we shared before I work at a company called Landed and we help essential professionals build financial wellness in the communities they serve. And it's like super, like it calls all the cool kids to the yard. Like people that want to work at Landed come from, you know, planning. One of our co-founders was on the Obama campaign, folks that are like really here to make a difference. And so it's like, we all show up. We're like, yeah, we're jazzed. We're ready. And then furthermore, our two co-founders met at Stanford Business School and they at Stanford Business School, they take this class called T-Group, where you, you log all these hours in a room with people getting real about who you are and how you perceive one another. It's like emotional intelligence boot camp. And you really have to get really real with yourself and really real with others. And it's amazing training. It's um, T-Groups are, you know, been around since I think like the 70s. So they brought this culture that they learned there to our company. They said, hey, we can get real with each other. We can be ourselves. We can be like really authentic. And not only that, just as like a um, provocation, we can also train in that. We actually do these trainings. We actually practice it over and over again. And I was so jazzed because my whole life, I was, like, I've wanted to be more human in my work and human with others and systems. But then I found something that like I didn't anticipate, which was we build a lot of affinity and care, just like you would in a tribe or in a family. Like you start to really care for these people. We always have like our work partners and our work family. Like we say that kind of like casually, but if you really emphasize it and you really go for it, like it can get really thick and really strong. So um, COVID shows up and we have to do a reduction in force. It's financially motivated and we have to actually lay off some of our friends, some of our family members. And watching what that did to our human system and watch us not fully be prepared for navigating that change was a real eye opener for me. My eyes are still open. I'm still trying to navigate what does that mean for us if we're if we're on this like collective campaign to bring ourselves more fully to work? 
how does that interface with capitalism? How does that interface with like, actually bring yourself, be yourself, be very vulnerable. And then, oh, because of necessity, we have to let you go. You've actually like have lost your care network. Perhaps you, you feel like you can't go to that same Slack channel where you might have been like weathering COVID um, because now you're out of the company. So these are on my mind right now. And it's, it's not making me want to say, okay, stop the presses. Let's go back to like being turtles at work and just like put up our shell and just pretend we're something else. I have questions. So I'm curious to know how this is being like observed in your worlds. Like, have you found like the cons of being like your full self at work? Like maybe feel like too exposed. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I have not found the cons of being my full self at work as of yet. Um, I definitely understand what you're saying. And I just think like, it's going to like, hear me out. I am weirdly excited about the changes that the world is going to, is going through because of COVID, because of things just like you said, like we're becoming, we're bringing our full self to work. You're also dealing with more compassion and also like the mourning of losing coworkers and, you know, things like that because you know you spend eight hours with these people like so like i am thinking that as this continues to grow we're we're gonna have more compassion started to get baked into our government uh baked in well hopefully uh baked into uh our like workplaces things like that i am very excited now i know that you know there's a lot of places like oh you know shut up in color and just do the work and stuff like that and i've never been a fan of those places i'm like you know mm-hmm. it's so much energy goes into just you know bringing a piece like holding the most of yourselves back and only bringing the essential pieces of who you are into the workforce like or into the workplace that you don't even get to bring your best work in because you're concentrating on pattern matching to what they desire you to be when you're at work so i see the consequences of it and i think we need consequences because that's the only way you get better, right? Yeah. As humans, right? You need the consequences. Like it needs to hurt because now you need to have those protections baked in because it hurt, right? And you need to find ways to communicate with people and become a part of your community beyond work and build a beyond work style like community because it hurts to lose those people. Like, all right. Yeah. There's a difference between, you know, financial decisions and I really love hanging out with these people. So you have to think of it like that with everything. So like I said, I'm excited. I think just some of the things you said are going to like spur, especially, you know, most of us are on this call right now. We're at the cusp of becoming leaders in our industry. So like when I am a old guy or whatever. I don't know. I'm 33 right now. And my career is going about 40. I'll start being one calling shots and doing things. And I'm excited to be able to implement the change, implement the changes that I want to see in the world. So like, I'm listening to this, I'm experiencing this, and I want to be able to bring a lot of these things to the table in, in a new world that we're you know building right now on our new normal, so to speak. That was so beautiful. Please just keep saying that over and over. And I will just listen to when I'm going to sleep every night. I really believe in that as well. I am on board. <laughs> and I think you're saying like the pain points are the learning too. It's just like a growth point. And it's true. Like some of the responses when we, we realize that, okay, we have these alum, they're now like in the market and it's scary. So let's make sure we huddle around them closer than we've ever huddled. Like let's make sure we see them to their next position or their next. And we did. We had like a committee doing that. I was on that. It was really real to be like, 
not everyone was like, oh, rebound, ready to send resumes out. Some had to grieve for several weeks, and we worked through that as well. And I loved it because I was like, this is the promise of being human, <laughs> like in all systems, at home, at work, in, in the streets. It's like you st- you stay on, you don't turn off. Yeah. yeah, it's like getting that next level. I'm a big anime fan, right? And like, I don't know if anybody will ever watch the show Dragon Ball Z, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at like, and people totally miss this because I guess dudes are just idiots, right? We're like trash. So all the guys who see this is like the like the Saiyans getting like Super Saiyan and stuff. Like, oh, they're getting stronger and stuff. But it's not really they are getting stronger. It's they get more in tune with their emotions. Like it was the loss of Goku's like best friend that spurred him to be on Super mm-hmm. Saiyan. It was mm-hmm. the pain of feeling like he would never live up to his father's uh, ideology or be able to be a true a true vision for his people that he lost and that spurred Vegeta. And then you're like, you know, the kids, because they were half human, they already had like this human mm-hmm. emotional like feelings baked into their like psyche and their emotions because their moms made sure their dads are in jackasses around now. And like they were able to like turn Super Saiyan at three and four. And like I'll never forget Vegeta was like, yo, they're giving like Super Saiyan out like Cracker Jacks uh, boxes now. Like what's going on? But like that's how humans reach the next level is through our empathy and our being able to feel emotions being tuned with it. Like, at least that's the lesson I got from the cartoon that I got hold on. Like, to get to that next level, I'm going to have to, like, get rid of that shell, like, you know, mm-hmm. only being one part and let everything in and out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how we get as, a, as, you know, the human race. It's time to, like, drop all the old stuff and, like, break down those shells and, you know, let's, uh, as I like to say, let's get it. So mm-hmm. it's very motivating. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> I have a completely opposite experience. I worked in a job several years ago where there was a culture of bringing your full self to work. And unfortunately, what that meant is we were basically just replicating the dynamics of a family, but it was a dysfunctional family. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like the, the head of the department, I worked at a college, was basically like the matriarch who worked out insecurities and conflict toxically in a toxic way and all that meant is that like all all kinds of like sort of personal feelings were sort of brought into the room when arguments were being had and we were expected to take other care of each other sort of lack of a better word shit (laughs) and i guess sort of my takeaway from that is super important to be able to bring your full self to work but that alone has to be mitigated with the understanding that there still need to be boundaries, I guess. (laughs) So yeah, boundaries come with being a part of bring yourself to work, right? Like Siobhan, I did not know that Siobhan was trans. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't matter to me. She decided that she was going to disclose that to me at, um, at her own decision based upon a comfort level that she had. However, it is my job as part of the boundaries is to treat Siobhan as, you know, she chose to present herself, right? 
So like that's, you know, and not ask questions or pry in and try to figure out, you know, get deep, you know, into the nitty gritty of things like that. That's where the boundary stops. You know, I treat you as you choose to be treated until you let me know otherwise. Right. That's where, you know, boundaries, consent, all that stuff comes down to. So boundaries, I mean. That's a part of being human, right? Like, I can be like, yo, girl, like, this shit is lit. But, like, that doesn't mean, like, we're, like, you know, super <laughs> close or whatever. It's just, you know, I know where our boundaries are regardless of every level of, like, conversation. It's like, you know, the boundaries in, like, language when it comes to, you know, saying, like, something like taboo, like uh, the N-word, right? Black people use it as a term in endearment, but somebody who's not black i like some like white dude from Cal- uh, carolina says that you know he's not saying it from a place of endearment and brotherhood or sisterhood right so like that's you know that's the science of boundaries like we and we have to learn how you know to respect those boundaries while not like saying that it makes us less human right so or it doesn't or it tampers the human experience because you know boundaries is part of it like it adds flavor to it right so that's just my two cents on it yeah i like what we're talking about here because it sounds like so like the handbook of life like things that humans should know upon moving out to the world and living and then the petri dish of of our employment as a place to explore those things one of the phrases that i learned i learned so much from our ceo i like um he's really inspiring inspiring guy and um some of the things that i've learned from him like just so trickled out beyond you know talking about my reports like almost every frustration i'll bring of like i i'm I'm stuck on this i think this person wants to do x y or z and he's always like um is that true have you validated those assumptions can you go verify that story and it's like this is like what you're saying of like there's so much to like grow into when we bring curiosity to the other including like knowing that we'll never fully know one another. Like that's something I love about being with humans is that you are this becoming system that's like forever unfurling. And so even when I think I might've like scoped or like, like sketched you, you change. And so that means I have to bring a fresh perspective every moment to our encounters, which does kind of like temper me a bit or like it almost like it's its natural boundary which is like, I can't make assumptions about you. Even if you said like, I'm always this way. Next time I see you, I'm like, are you still always that way? Because it might have changed. And to me, that like allows for a lot of these conversations of like, like how do we build these like um, inclusive communities and, and inclusive workspaces? It's like, start with the premise that you don't know anybody. Like you really don't know them fully, but you're, you're excited to. <laughs> like you're curious and you want to like understand them on their terms. And you want to do that not just once, like take a workshop, you want to do that forevers, like over and over and over again yes. um, as a way of living. <laughs> yes, because the person I was 10 years ago was nowhere who I am today. And the person who I was 10 years before that was nowhere. If I went back and talked to and that version of Jerome, who was into like combat sports, just getting out of the military, was like 50 pounds lighter and stuff, met this version of me, he would be shocked. He would be like, yo, you're out here helping people with like pixels and shit like what's going on here so like that's how the idea of like acceptance and being human is we have to not only get to the idea of accepting people but also accepting that people have the capacity to grow and evolve right like you said getting to know them over and over again like you know it's a new person in front of you every time right yeah like i'm excited about that 
And I'm also curious, like, how do we care for each other back to that point? Like, Jacob, I was thinking, how did you heal from that really crappy environment? Like, did did you go through a period where you're like, okay, I'm just not going to bring myself now? Like, I'm burnt? Or did, I don't know, how did that go? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, that's, that's like the thing of like, when there's a traumatic, when there's a traumatic, well, I don't know. I don't want to say traumatic. Like, it's, it's traumatic. It's traumatic. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to minimize saying. like real trauma. It's not. Mini- it's not. It's just the thing about trauma. Like just because your trauma is the same as other person's trauma doesn't mean it's traumatic. Trauma is in relation to the person, not to what like it's like racism. It's not. It's in relation to the person, not to like what one person thinks. It's not a blanket thing. It's very nuanced. So yeah, if it's trauma for you, if it was traumatic for you. It's traumatic for you, right? Yeah. Well, so, thank you. Yeah. I mean, end of the day, it ended in a getting laid off. So, <laughs> but yeah, like, I think like when something traumatic happens, you tell yourself a story about why that happened. And then you sort of say like, what that thing that I did, I must never do that again. <laughs> and take the most you, extreme response. Yeah. And you sort of apply it to every context, you know, even though like the context is completely changed. Like this is three jobs later for me. And so it's a hard experience. Especially being in COVID land with a three-year-old, uh, like trying to not bring, you know, quote unquote, bring too much of myself to work, but also like knowing that like my coworkers need to know like what my personal shit is going on because like there's a three-year-old that wants my attention and he can't go to daycare right now, you know, uh, like that's reality. And I will start, I'll start with this right now. You are not working home from home remotely. You're working home remotely during a pandemic. So it's not a trying to separate home from work. This is an unmitigated, unusual response. Like, you know, when I was in the military, being in the military stateside is a totally different idea of being in the military while in the middle of our, while in Iraq and Afghanistan, right? So I was, there's a difference between, oh, I'm in the military and I'm at Tindall Air Force Base, uh, just doing my security forces duty where, oh, I'm in Camp Buka, Iraq, like where shit's real. Like, I don't care about this. So remember, Look at it through that scope and they have like it's you have no they have no choice but to accept you as you are because this is a unprecedented time, right? You know, like I said, outside is trying to kill you. Like what the fuck, right? <laughs> so um like you know, it's like in my Shalomon movie out there, right? <laughs> um so you have to think of it from that scope and not feel guilty. I think people feel guilty with this idea of bring like love, like trying to control like kids and dogs and pets and like parrots and shit, and, like all at once with their uh like we're doing now. I'm like, don't feel guilty. Like you're not working from home. Like it's not normal working from home. It's like yo, some shit has gone down. Right. So don't feel bad about it. this is very unusual, like environment that you're in. Like you've never been like, like I've never been in this type of situation before. I have zero ideas of like an advice because like what just happened like a hundred years ago, like the last time. So I don't know. Like, yo, I'm reading history books trying to figure out how they did it. And it was, they were just as effective back then as they are now. Like, same shit, different day. So, you have to accept that part. Like, yo, this is a like, this is a nightmare scenario and you're doing the best you can with what you have. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, it's okay to bring your whole self to this environment, right? Like, don't, like, mm-mm, fuck that. Like, if they, like, if, you know, you got to take a Zoom call and do a, a planning meeting with a three-year-old in the room, like, on your lap playing with cars, then, you know, you just have to do that. Because three-year-olds, like, if it's, you know, is it a three-year-old boy or girl? Boy. Oh, yeah. So, oh, no, you got to watch him all times, right? Like, when <laughs> a, a three-year-old gets quiet, you know that, you know, some shit is going down. They're afraid of, right? So, nah, like, you got to, like, y'all, I know y'all some, but I have, like, a Tasmanian devil, a little terror in my house. I can't be, you know, I just, I have to keep an eye on him. So, no. Nah. Bring your whole self. Yeah. Right on. Thank you. <laughs> I, I loved hearing that because, like, Jerome, like, you're modeling how to extend grace and care to Jacob. And, like, literally, this is how people can talk at their jobs. <laughs> and then, like, I'm just, I just want to, like, highlight meta. Like, it's that simple. You just went to your core. You're a dad. You see another person. You can share from that space. And you just did. And, Jacob, how did that, how did that land to hear that? That was 100%. That was, couldn't have hoped for better. Yeah, Powerful. that was great. Thank you. Uh, my superpower is uh, I come from one side of the fence of being like super whore and like what like people think is alpha male. But as I've grown and done everything that I can to become a better human being over the course of the last 10, 12 years, I am nowhere near that guy anymore. But I have all this stuff that people consider is like cool and alpha male in my like background and history. So I get to walk with that power of like, you can't really, you know, if I say it, then you're not going to challenge it. And then, you know, that's part of my privilege and I get to use it. Like, you know, who, like, who's going to check me, boo? Like nobody. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, that's where I'm at. And like, at, you know, my, I spent my twenties doing hood shit for my country. And, you know, now I'm the super empath- uh, empathetic guy. And I do that intentionally because like I say, if I say it, even the most alpha conservative person out there isn't going to challenge it because I've done more gangster shit than them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and like I said, I wear it proudly unintentionally to make sure, like, you know, like I said, I got to protect it. I mean, like I took an oath to protect people from like all threats, foreign and domestic. And sometimes the biggest threats is our own thoughts and behaviors. So mm-hmm. like, I'm just out here in these streets trying to do the best work I can. Mm-hmm. Solid. I think we've touched on an interesting topic here where we're talking about bringing our whole selves to work, but because we're humans, like those selves are flawed and, and they can be flawed in ways that are actually toxic to the people that, that we're working with. And so I think one of the things that's, that's implicit, but not really talked about in, in this whole idea of bringing yourself to work is that people have the responsibility for themselves, that they have, they, they you got to do the work on yourself like it, to be part of that community and to be not, you know, just spew toxicity into that environment and make it worse yeah. for everyone. And, but that's not something that ever gets talked about in these contexts. And I don't really know. It sounds like Siobhan, your environment and, and the leaders that have created an environment there where you are able to do a lot of that process work. You are able to hold people responsible. And there's a, a very open communication about, you know, impacts and, 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 and community structure and all that sorts of things. And I'm, I think it's great that you have that. It seems like a lot of organizations haven't gotten quite that far. And I'm wondering how to, we can help advance the, the conversation about this into developing those sorts of skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite phrases to offer like 
the type A student who wants to get all the high marks and all the gold stars, when I see them starting to get stretched and frayed and they have to drop some balls and they start freaking out that they can't please everybody, the people pleasers, is to say, you're not categorically a good person. You're not like slam dunk 100% all the time good. You're also not categorically bad. In fact, categorical thinking is a bit dubious. I'm a Bayesian probability thinker. I believe that we have these varying degrees. It's like this hydraulic system and they're ever changing. And I, I find that like that's one of the, the prereqs for a growth mindset is to start looking at yourself honestly. Let me actually calibrate. Where am I showing up? How am I showing up? And you might need data asking, I said that to you. How did that land? How do I impact you? Maybe anonymously, you can tell me privately, like all these things. But I think if you haven't done that first step of knocking yourself off the horse and believing you're a good person, you will forever defend that little ego, little castle, and you'll die on that hill and you'll learn nothing about the world. <laughs> you will like, um, you will not advance. So I think to me that it's, it's that critical, like check yourself at that first fundamental of, are you trying to maintain a story and all the data you're getting from the world that invalidates that story is just like completely erased, then we got to start there. <laughs> we have to go to that fundamental first before we try to like add on cultures of feedback, which is sort of a spiritual journey. That's hard work for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how have you seen that show up? I mean, it's like, it's true. Like, how do we get people into that first door? I think the like probably a prerequisite is is psychological safety. Just feeling like there is the ability to have that open communication, the ability to say, you know, I'm having a terrible day. You know, let's let's change how we operate for a little while, or whatever whatever that that is. The next steps, are, I mean, I feel like probably it needs some leadership. Like I was saying, like with you, like with your environment where you've got leaders who are really modeling this and really promulgating it out into the, into the group so that the, the whole community can form around those norms. As far as like taking a, a more standard corporate environment and trying to shift it in that direction, I, at this point, I don't have a good plan for that. Wish yeah. it did. <laughs> I think like part of it is not having an environment where anyone is like the one person who blank. Like, so for example, like when drones that just said what you said about being a parent and relating to me about being a parent, right? If I was the only parent at a tech startup where like everyone else was a 25 year old dude, then like, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to bring my whole self to work about and or like my identity as a parent, right? Because it's like, who would I bring it to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a key dependency in building trust too. It's like, <laughs> are there people that I can relate to? Yeah. And I mean, it- but this is one of the reasons why we still bring ourselves on to work because we just, that's a great example, right? Yeah, they may be all 25-year-old dudes and no kids, but you don't know who had a rough childhood, who, mm-hmm. you know, their parents were kind of absent and they had to do most of the heavy lifting on raising their brothers and sisters. Like, you know, I'm a parent, but I also had a childhood where I had to do a lot of the heavy lifting with my little sister and little brother, like when I became a teenager, because my parents worked all the time. So, you know, these are the stories that people, you know, that you don't know. And that's why that's that's a motivating part of bringing your whole self to work, because you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know how it might relate. Like, I, I always thought like a parent, even when I was a person that didn't have kids, because... 
that was part of my responsibilities was making sure people got up on time and were fed breakfast and got on the right school bus and did their homework when they came home and made sure they had their snack and made sure they did their chores and, you know, were showered and, you know, ready to chill for the rest of the day before my parents came home, right? And parents came home cooking and it's when, you know, they shift change happened right so like that's that you know those are the things that you have to keep in mind that the less of yourself that you bring to work with you the less you're going to learn about other people around you right so that's yeah. why you, that's that motivating part about like bringing your whole self to work because you don't know you don't know who's going to empathize with you because you don't know their experiences. You can't read minds, right? So assume that because you can't read minds, they can't either. And plus, I just like trying to see the good in people before I like write them off as like they might be assholes, right? So, <laughs> you know, even though when I think of 25 year olds, I automatically think of a jackass, right? Like, oh, 25. So, like, I was an idiot during that. I don't know about this. Yeah. 33 year old Jay cannot hang out with 25 year old Jay. I'm like, no, oh, no. Was, <laughs> that, that was a rough time. <laughs> But yeah, I think you've identified a really an interesting point there, which is that like if you are the only one of whatever, you're the only woman, you're the only person of color, you're the only parent, like it puts a bigger burden on the team to develop that empathy where they don't have something in common, where they can still relate to you and understand the parts of like how your life is affected by that element of yourself. And I think I think you know, Jerome, you're right about it. you have to start with bringing that to give them the chance to, to develop that. Um, like I know I have certainly understand a lot more about my, a lot of my coworkers lives. Now that I can see the children crawling over them, you know, in, in the meetings. Cause you know, that's just the, the way life is these days. And, and knowing just that that's the environment they're working in just helps me understand them as people better. Same like well, my last job, I was there and I was one of, three black guys in the room and we're in the South and, you know, everybody's either conservative, staunchly conservative or independent, which is what they want to say that they're conservative, but you're black. <laughs> and they don't want you to think that they're a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I would bring my whole self to work just to ensure that they knew like, no, this is how, you know, it affects my community when you do things like this or when you vote this way. I know you're only looking at it from this point of view, but this is why people are angry at you. Like, no, this is why women are angry. This is why black people think you're monsters if you vote for this guy. Like, it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, what your thought process is. You know, all the other things you're ignoring is, you know, these are the things that you, what you're telling me, the things you do value. What you're also telling me is that the parts that you don't value are all, all the parts that are a danger to me, right? I'm not seeing a report of a bunch of cops like jumping up and whistleblowing people, right? You can see that with doctors, right? Like doctors will whistleblow on a shitty doctor in New York Minute, but you do not see cops whistleblowing on shitty cops, right? And like that's where that whole ideal of like being able to see things from other people's point of view, right? Like, no, nah, like, Shit's wild. So you have to be able to, you bring yourself to whole work, you bring your whole self to work just so you can change, you know, put a dent in the universe, as I like to say. Like, you got to be able to do that. So, you know, you never know who you're going to affect positively and who you're going to touch, right? And, that, and that's the risk you take, right? Or you might, or somebody might double down on the jackassery and that's the risk you also have to take, right? But at least you try. I really resonate with that. I, some of the storytelling I've been able to do at work, I've really enjoyed, which is like we recently had this like pride 
panel at work, we got to talk about like how our different journeys from different LGBTQIA plus folks got to where they are in their careers. And um, I was able to share how um, growing up in like the 80s and 90s in America, the only paths for trans women that were like just depicted in the news or in anywhere um, was in entertainment or sex work. That was like the places where we, we saw ourselves. And one of the effects of seeing that as a child is you start to believe it. You start to say, I guess that's all I can do. And there was another layer on top of that, which was basically, you're probably not going to live past 30 because of the murder rate of your population. And so growing your psyche as a child is like, okay, I've got to like be prepared for murder. And I have to do that within one of these two professions. And so always loved science, always loved math, but realized there was the only way I could be myself was to move to New York and be an artist. And so I did that. And when I started to see some cultural shifts that you track since you're like a child, some little subtleties of like a messaging that maybe the violence is abating just slightly, maybe there's a little window, a little door. I ran through that door and I said, at the risk of maybe putting myself more further out in front to be the first to be killed, I was like, I'm ready to, I'd rather die and try to live my life than not. And so it's been so great to be able to share at work that that was one of the layers of story in my world, which is once you've sort of like stared death down and, you know, made a little pact to say, I'm not going to like perform fear for you. I'm not going to like take this pervasive general fear of trans women and this violence and like perform it on my own body as shame or self-violence. I'm just going to like take it and just put it to the side. A lot of other things become available. For me, it was a lot of cognitive capacity. I started learning and growing at a really exponential rate because I didn't have this little fear machine sitting on my shoulder. And it wasn't because of just like magic. I had like some incredible therapy. I used EMDR, worked with like a bit like folks that have gone through a lot of stuff can find a lot of advancement through these therapies. But just to say that like sharing even that story at work sometimes, it's like, I'm so pleased because there might be others in the community, maybe not even there at work, but more beyond who don't even know how much they're dimming their own light by living in fear or like having chronic anxiety, maybe for a similar reason, maybe because they have something about themselves that if they were to ever proclaim, they'd be, you know, sent away from their families and that terrifies them. Um, so just modeling some of the path through the woods, sometimes I've actually felt that might be one of my biggest roles in my career even is just to model like some of that story over and above like some of my design decisions or code. But yeah, I, I think we're just tracking here to some of the ripple effects at, of like what else happens when you're, when you're really fully embodied and really, really here. Uh, that's a great that wrap up. <laughs> so we've come to the part of the show where we do reflections, which is uh, basically uh, just the, the the ideas, the thoughts, or the takeaways that uh, each of us has gotten out of this conversation, and certainly for me, the, the there's two things really. This and then they're both around bringing your whole self to work. The first is um, like we were talking before, like how can we inculcate um, like more of that caring into like corporate environments where you can build the sorts of, of deep community that that you've been talking about, Siobhan. And then the second part is like, as you were talking about, you know, the, the difficulty and like the emotional toll of, you know, what happens when the team makeup changes, whether you're adding new people to it and you've got to get them used to it all, or you have to lose someone either for positive or negative reasons, like the community itself has to, to react to that. 
And it, it strikes me that there's probably a, a deep tradition in communities going back thousands of years of how to handle processes like that. But because this is sort of a new environment, it's corporate, it's tech, it's like you don't tend to think of it as having a lineage going back that far. But humans have been doing the sorts of things in community forever. And there's probably things we can learn from from how that's been done in, in, in cultures old and new um, that can teach us how to process that as a group better. My reflection on this is a little bit in depth. Like it's, we can be the change that we want to see. Like, I mean, it's no, it like, it's really, really motivating beyond like people like uh, Siobhan who are also like willing to do their work, especially the idea of fearlessness or acknowledging the fear and consequences of the things that you make decisions you're making, but not allowing them to stop you or hinder you. You know, it's just like, Hey, you know, that, we should all focus on doubling down on that, being more fearless or acknowledging the consequences for not letting it stop us, especially if we know we're doing the right thing, right? Yeah, the transition from that, I, I really felt like positively challenged by Jerome to, I think, try to be more visible about how the pandemic is affecting, just sort of is in my life and is sort of watching over my shoulder as I'm working. Because, yeah, that's that's the only way my coworkers are going to know. They, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So I'm going to challenge myself to sort of try to be a little bit more visible in the hopes of being an agent for change and maybe sort of move the needle on in terms of visibility of parents at my company. Mm. My takeaways relate to the actual practice of the call itself. I, I, we've been here. I, I, I joined not really knowing what we're going to do or how it might unfold. And um, you each put me at ease to say that it was going to be this um, meandering walk through the woods together. And the way I saw is building on each other's ideas and circling back and modeling care and even nodding and smiling. And, and, and even here in the Skype sort of virtual video world, I saw us actually experimenting with this idea of showing up in real time. We were showing up to each other and we were showing each other that it's powerful and that it has um, the ability to maybe elicit new ideas or spin ideas out further. And we saw that happen. So just to go like meta meta, like I feel like my takeaway is it's possible in any direction. It happened today. So where else can I bring this level of bravery to show up to the moment? And maybe it will surprise me where it happens today. But I, I will definitely take away this reminder that it's valuable when we do. Thank you so much for showing up and, and, help, and helping us have this conversation. My pleasure. This is great. 